0: Our topic for today is communication dynamics and what we're going to be doing um, as a part of uh, 2019 where Pastor Martin has said we are going to be moving forward, right? We are all going to be moving forward and this month is family series. So we are going to be talking about communication dynamics and we're breaking this down into some communication basics, but we want to go just a little bit deeper, and we're going to break this down into uh, six other compartments. The first one will be spouse to spouse, that's kind of our marriage segment. Next, it will be parent to child, and then parent to adult child. Fourth will be child to parent. Fifth will be adult child to parent. And then, lastly, we'll be sibling to sibling. We're going to try to get that all in today. So
1: Denise will start. Good morning, family. It's great to see everybody today, and I'm glad you're here safely. Um, When we talk about communication, when I looked it up, it says the imparting or interchange of thoughts, opinions, or information by speech, writing, or signs. Some other things that, that we've gleaned about communication is that communication expresses needs, thoughts, and feelings honestly. That's our goal, honestly. Communication is also listening, huge component of communication, and taking turns. Communication is verbal and nonverbal. So you're thinking, why would we be talking about this today on a Sunday morning? Well, Pastor really dove in that family is foundational. The family in our society is foundational. And we can see how so many things have been chipped away in our society because the family unit is not honored, it's not revered, and it's crumbling. In so many instances. And when the family crumbles, the society doesn't have any foundation to stand on. In Proverbs 25, verses 11 and 12, it says, Winsome words spoken at just the right time are as appealing as apples gilded in gold and surrounded with silver. To humbly receive wise correction adorns your life with beauty and makes you a better person. And John, 13, John 16, verse 33, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Pastor related to that when he said, you know, that, that illusion that once you've got this family, everything's going to be perfect, That's not correct because it says right here in the world you will have tribulation and some of that tribulation is going to be under your roof. God wants us to have peace and peace comes through good communication. Peace comes through understanding and that's what we're here to try and shine a light on today. Um, Some of the basics of communication, I have down intentional... Intentional times of family togetherness build communication. We communicate all day long through one thing or one way or another, but the, it's the intentional times where we dive in to the deep parts of ourselves. That's what re, where real communication, real sharing comes from. Um, intentional communication involves sacrifice oftentimes and self-discipline. There's a lot of times when we may come home at the end of the day and all we want to do is put our feet up, have a good meal, and sit down and veg. But if you've got a family there, they deserve more of you than that. Sometimes you're going to have to uh, put on your hard helmet and you're going to have to sit there and shut off what you desired to do that night And dive in with your family. Start unpacking what their day was like. Listen. Um, Allow your family to be emotionally connected when you plug in. Positive conversations enrich relationships. And that willingness to share your joys and sorrows, to be transparent, to strive to learn more about each other, that reminds me of when, like, a couple is dating. You, you'll put everything on hold because they're the apple of your eye. They're your focus of the day. You can hardly wait to share. Well, fast forward that to 10, 20, 30 years later when you've got a couple of young ones running around in the house. That, that desire to be a student of each other needs to still be there in your relationship. And that takes time and intentionalness. To to be transparent, to, to be known and to know, and that does not mean to mind read, because we can't read our spouse's mind. We can't read our children's minds. We can't read our parents' minds. We can make some educated guesses about what they're thinking because of past performance experience, body language, intonation, but we truly cannot climb inside somebody else's body and know exactly what they're thinking. And that's why when you are invested in intentional communication in your family, that's when you you get to know each other because they've shared that with you. You haven't had to guess it. They've shared their feelings with you. They've shared their thoughts with you, their dreams with you. All of this takes time. It all takes time. It's a journey. Real communication is a journey. You never arrive. Um, On the the focusonthefamily.com website, it talks about two kinds of communication, your work talk and your heart talk. Your work work talk is conversation around goals, it is task-oriented, and it's focused on solving problems. A lot of our conversation that happens at the beginning and end of the day is work talk because it's who took out the trash. Did you feed the dog? What's for dinner? Do you have your homework done for tomorrow? But when you get to the heart talk, the deep relational conversation that has the feelings, the desire for understanding. Those are what aim at cohesion in your family and strengthening the family bond. Um, They actually have a little acronym, ICU, and the I is identifying your feelings and their feelings, and the C is deciding to care about the feelings, And the you is seeking to understand until you're satisfied that you've shared between all the members of your family. So it's just a little focus on, are you having heart talk? Communication is more than words. I might say, I'm going to work out now. Or I might say, I'm going to work out now. Same sentence, totally different meaning. And we do that all the time with our body language, our voice inflection, all of it. And that contributes to openness or closed, closed communication within the walls of your home. Um, relationships are dynamic. They change over time. And because we're made in God's image, we are endlessly complex and mysterious while we're mortal and imperfect. So just because there was a feeling five years ago or a thought or an opinion, it doesn't mean that maybe that hasn't evolved or changed. I think back of a time with my dad when I was in college, and I can remember expressing my opinion very forcefully about what I considered something in the, in the arena of the world, and I look back on those statements now and think, gosh, what a fool. What a fool I was in the way I expressed it. And just, I mean, it was who I was at the time, but it's not what I believe now. And my dad was always gracious enough to give me grace in my ignorance at that time because he knew that's where she is, that's what she's surrounded with, She'll learn, she'll mature, she'll grow, and that's what we do with with the folks in our home too. Um, We always have room for growth. The robbers of communication in our home, we can identify them real easily. Electronics. (laughs) Phone, iPad, computer, TV, those are robbers of communication. Do we need them? Yeah, we need them. A lot of times we do, but a lot of times we don't. They're a habit and a bad habit. And we train up a child. We also need to train up ourselves to get some self-control with those electronics because they are robbing our families blind. They're robbing our relationships They're trying to shape what our families look like, how our families think. There is a good way and a bad way to use electronics. And it's about time that we, as God's children, took control over them in our homes so that we can model for the world what this should look like. Other things that are robbers are activities. Do we participate in activities, or do they run our lives? That could be anything from lessons, sports, meetings. I mean, we've got to have some boundaries, some controls in our families so that we make time to have a family, to communicate as families. And uh, the last thing I have down is our self, our selfishness, our fatigue, our overcommitment not recognizing the season in our families. A lot of times, I know for myself, if I get selfish in what I want to do with my time at a certain time, I'm not communicating. I'm closed down. And I need to always recognize where I am and what what my role is at the time and assess, how have I allotted that time for the day so that I've got time to feed into this relationship and the relationship with all of our kids and grands.
0: Now it's your turn. Okay. (laughs) I've got a couple factoids also. First of all, about communication. This is a surprise for me, but did you know that only 7% of your communication is the words that you're you're giving out? 93% of communication is in your tone and in your nonverbal body language. 38% is tone. A very loud voice will put up a wall. But a soft voice is more inviting, more controlled. And we were just driving to church today. And i what were we talking about? The windshield oh yeah, (laughs) the windshield. And (laughs) my windshield, this is a work truck that we drove today and it has a crack and it just drives her crazy. It doesn't bother me at all. So she was making a remark and we were talking about her Verbal influctuation of her voice, and uh, you know the rolling of the eyes, and, and all that. weren't we? We were talking about that. One of us was. Ninety three percent is interpreted by what you, by your volume and your body language. Mm-hmm. It's it's wild. So we have to be very very aware of that. Next, and we go through this in our our marriage classes. Uh, there's five levels of communication, and I'm gonna—I'll try to make this really short. But where we want to be is we want to operate at level one and two. But there, there is five, and I'll start with with level five. It's called cliche conversation. We do a lot of this here at church with our church friends. It's like, how are you today? What do you think of the weather outside? It's—it's it's really surface level. It's very safe. And level four. is is a little bit more it's talking about uh, facts and you report facts about someone else but you don't really add your personal feelings to what you're talking about so it it again is still surface level and very safe and then level three we start to involve ourselves a little bit it talks about interjecting your ideas and your judgments and there's a little bit of risk involved here Level two, and like I said, level number one is where we want to be. Level two is where you start expressing your feelings and your emotions. You share uh, how you feel about facts, how you feel about certain situations, and you begin to put out a risk of people buying into or agreeing with your ideas and your decisions. And um, Lastly is is level one, where you have complete emotional and personal communication. And this is where you're really talking about deep subjects. You're open. You're honest. This is how I truly feel about this for whatever reason. And it's the highest risk level. It's the risk of of being rejected. But level one and level two is really, especially in in marriage, but in, in your family as well, uh, really, it's best to operate at level level 1 and level 2. And why persons respond at level 5 and level 4 is usually because they don't know the other person that well and they don't want confrontation. And why do people operate at level 2 and level 1? It's because they, they typically feel uh, accepted and they, and they feel safe. when they're talking about what's coming from their heart. Anything else on the basics of communication? That's very broad and covers uh, most things. The first uh, breakout area is spouse to spouse. And communication is to marriage what blood is to life. It is It is that important. Denise and I talk to a lot of married folks, and those that are having the biggest challenges are those that struggle with their communication. When we get married, we think that we're going to, uh, that love will carry us through everything, and it doesn't really take us very far. It takes a lot of work, and especially work in the area of communication. As Denise said, when you're dating, everything is deep, you want to know a lot about that other person, but when you get married, you'll be surprised, it it becomes a lot of work to communicate well. In marriage, words and communication can wound, or they can give deep healing. They can destroy, or they can build up. Communication is the most important vehicle in our marriage relationship that will establish spiritual, emotional, mental, and practical oneness. I'm communicating. (laughs) Yes, she is. (laughs) And we're partners. You know what? I'm not offended when she helps me out. I really appreciate it. I appreciate when she will undergird me when, I, when there's an area that I need help in, uh, most of the time, I think. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. and
1: you communicate it if you don't
0: appreciate it. Oh, I but, do. But, I mean,
1: not in a bad
0: way. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Another thing that's important in marriage is for men to properly communicate with their wife, understanding that women are made differently than we are. Typically, women want full communication. They want the full story. I know for me, I'm kind of a bullet point kind of guy. <laughs> I'll just give you the the uh, highlights. And that's typically not good enough for her. If we have some a friend that has a baby, I'm fortunate if I can remember the baby's name. And I feel pretty good if I... If I can make it home and remember that, do you think that's the last question she has for me? No, she wants to know how much it weighed, how long was it, how long are they going to be in the hospital, this, that, and every other thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm without words. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. They want full details. On the other hand, most men really don't want to delve everything out to the public or in in large crowds. That's just the way men are built. On the other hand, a woman needs to communicate properly to her husband. And she must understand that that he's emotionally different than her. Like I said, he doesn't really want to share all of his deepest, darkest feelings to everybody. Whereas women, they're, they're more chatty than we are, typically. There are, there are five keys to communication in marriage. And I got this from the book that is in the marketplace. It's called Marriage on the Rock by Jimmy and Karen Evans. It is a great read. If you listened to Vanessa Naquacha the other night, she said, I believe she said, successful people, read a lot, because they want to know a lot, and they want to learn a lot. So they continually invest in their education, whether it's reading, listening, or whatever it may be. That is a great read, and it will help any marriage, a marriage that is in trouble, a marriage that is very good and everyone in between. Anyway, five keys to communication in marriage. Number one is mutual concern or caring, to have mutual concern or caring. Spouses, know that you care about them when you, and and I'm gonna give you seven more, seven more things under mutual concern. First of all, when you use eye contact, when you're talking to your spouse, look them in the eye. Not in a staring, glaring way, but just maintaining eye contact. Uh, Wandering eyes can give you wandering thoughts and, and get you off track. Secondly, affection and body language, show affection. Show affection to your spouse. Third, countenance. It's the look on your face is important. Number four, voice level and tone. We talked a little bit about that. Number five, frequency of contact, touch, hug. Number six, attitude toward serving and pleasing. If you are married, you really need to understand this concept. If you will serve your spouse more than you serve yourself, you will not believe the results that will come, the positive results that will come your way. It is a fact. It works. And it's powerful.
1: He said this morning, we were getting ready, and he comes in, he said, "Uh, how do I look or something? And he had just come in from shoveling the driveway. And I said, you look great. And he goes, That's a lie. Well, no, I mean, that's not the whole truth or something. And I said, that's stretching the truth. Yeah, stretching. And I said, no, that is a true statement. You look like a husband that just shoveled the driveway for his wife. And that's beautiful to me because I did not have to pick up a shovel.
0: Can I get a witness? (laughs) Thank you. Lastly, and number seven, sensitive to inner needs, hurts, and desires. When we are concerned about what is important to our spouse, it shows that we really care. So when when you'll put all seven of these points together that I just gave, it shows that you are mutually concerned and you care about your spouse. Number two is intellectual devotion, and that's called listening. As Denise mentioned, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is a function of your ear. Listening is when you take in those words and you interpret what's going on. And you interpret with full listening, not planning your response as they're talking. So that the absolute moment they get done, poof, you're in there with your opinion. And interrupting also is, a, is, a, is a, another one that is a listening robber. Proverbs 18 and 13 in the Amplified says, He who answers before he hears the facts, it is folly and shame to him. Number three is authentic verbal affirmation and praise. Denise reminded me of the word authentic. You know, I hear, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I love you, babe, or I love this, I love that, and it just, it just becomes, to me, a repetitive thing that I wonder how sincere it is. Is it repetition or is it sincere? Maybe it is sincere, but it needs to be authentic is where I'm going with this, um, and, and through praise. You know, when we praise God, he, he surrounds us and embraces us, and people are no different. We are built the same way. We feed off of positive praise, and heavy criticism works the opposite way.
1: Now, Can I interrupt you yes. just for a minute? It reminds me, I think it's 2nd Samuel, when, when King David was bringing back the ark in the correct manner, and he was... I mean, they took six steps and sacrificed and praised and they took six more steps and sacrificed and praised and, t- and he's dancing and leaping in the, just the ephod and he comes within eyesight of the castle and his wife, Michael, comes down and criticizes what she saw because in her eyes, it wasn't kingly. He was debasing himself by acting like a commoner in his manner of praise. Well, you notice after that, it says she had no children. That he said, I'm, I'm going to praise the Lord the way that I praise the Lord. Because he is Lord. And, I mean, there you weren't going to stop David from praising the Lord. Criticism has deep, deep roots and lasting effects and the way we criticize um, needs a lot of examination because a lot of times before we open our mouths to criticize somebody else we should look at ourselves first that's
0: good, that's good. number four in our five keys to communication in marriage is uh, loving confrontation, speaking truth and love In Proverbs 3, 3 to 4, it says, Do not let mercy and kindness and truth leave you. Instead, let these qualities define you. Bind them securely around your neck. With them, or write them on the tablet of your heart. So find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Denise talked about that earlier. Controversy, confrontation is going to happen in your marriage. And when you have the skills to walk through that process effectively, you'll you'll have better success uh, getting through them and feelings will not be hurt. Uh, They're just things you have to deal with in life and in marriage.
1: And I'll never forget years ago when pastors were talking about those times of confrontation and how they planned for them in a time of peace, how they set out their guidelines, their boundaries. Okay, when we're, when we're having a confrontation, these are the things we can do. These are the things we can't do. And they did that during a peaceful time so they knew what those parameters were going to be. You don't just get a ring on your finger and know how to confront. You don't just, I avoided conflict like the plague for so much of my life. But because Kevin, and I've said this before, he gave me a safe atmosphere to be me. And he's like, you know, I I take you warts and all, so just be yourself. And so because of that safe atmosphere, I, I wasn't running into the bathroom and slamming the door every time I burned the chicken or I had a problem with something, you know, because he made it safe for me. And that's what our, ho- our homes need to be of everywhere in the world. Our homes need to be a safe zone for all of us to be our true self. And we learn techniques to make us better me's, you know, to make all of us better inside that home because it's modeled for us. And when we mess up, we apologize quick, easy, done, We don't carry it on for weeks and weeks.
0: Point number five is called intimate discussion or openness. The most precious communication in marriage is found in the special times when we share an intimate discussion. In this safe and open environment, just like Denise had talked about, you share your innermost thoughts, your feelings, and your dreams So we're going to
1: move on to parents and children and children and parents. And I have to quote Mr. Rogers Um, Knowing that we can be loved exactly as we are gives us all the opportunity for growing into the healthiest of all people. Um, We need to cultivate communicating with our children. The world wants our children's ear. They want want our children's dollars. They want want to shape what our children think, how they think, what they do. I think in generations past, that whole concept of uh, don't speak unless you're spoken to, be seen and not heard, I mean, there's some beauty to some of that sometimes. When you got a bunch of kids running around. But did all of that lead to the abuses that we're now reading about? In the church, in the school, not out of fear, but out of wisdom, we must cultivate our communication with our children. Just like I was saying, our homes need to be the safe place with our kiddos. So I broke this down, and I'm going to go through this rather quickly, but with young children, the first thing is time. Make time. Make time for the littles. That safe environment includes sitting at their level, bending down when you're talking to them, looking them straight in the eye, listening to your voice tone, Listening more than talking, and it includes your body language. Also, using language children understand. Last week, I had my, uh, one of my grands, Shepard, was there. And like every week at about 1.15, when we sit down to read some stories before nap time, we were reading Gordon Takes a Tumble. Because if you want to read that book, just come out to my house every Thursday at about 1.15... Because no matter how many books we have, that one's going to be the first one we read. I think I must have it memorized. So after all of these dozens and dozens of readings over all of these weeks, because he's two and a half, he looks at me and he goes, Demma, what is tumble? All of these readings. And he's asking me, what is tumble? I said, Sheppy, remember when you fell off the kitchen chair today? Sheppy took a tumble, and then he was laughing all the rest of the time that he had something in common with the trained Gordon. But, I mean, when you think about it, here we've been reading that book for months. He asked for it first of all, but he, after all these months, what is tumble? So many times when we talk with children, we're using words that they don't have a clue what we're saying. And they're looking at us, and they might be nodding their head, and then they go toddle off on their own, but they don't know what we talked about. We have got to be aware of the word choices we use with the young people. And we, we have to ask those questions that help us to evaluate their comprehension of what we're saying. Um, avoid criticism and use authentic praise. Slow down. Little kids are not in a hurry. Slow down. Open-ended questions. Instead of, and I, I have to always work on this. Did you have a good day? Yeah, no, yeah. Use open-ended questions. Did you, Tell me something weird that happened to you today. What made you happy today? Be mindfully present. Like Kevin said, don't let your mind drift off to everything else you have to do when they're telling you a story that lasts 10 minutes. And they're saying some of the things over and over and over again. Because they can see that in your vacant glaze, you have no clue about what they're saying. They know more than you think they do. Avoid saying, because I said so. Now, sometimes that has to be said. There's a fire. There's a, you're stepping into the street. There, I mean, sometimes it just has to be. But it shouldn't be the go-to, the default sentence. And let them be afraid. Let them be sad. Let them be mad. Let them feel what they're feeling and then help them unpack those feelings to see why they're feeling it. Um, Give them assurances that your love will never fail because his love will never fail and we are to them what God is to us our love will never fail. Like Pastor said, if one of his kids is in prison, he's there. He's not going to abandon them. We're not going to abandon our kids. But we're, we're, the, you know, we're taking them through this race course of life. We're, we're showing them, okay, this is what you do at the curve. This is what you do on the straightaway. That's, that's our job. Elementary children begin to view the world in complex ways. And they become more purposeful. They alternately feel dependent, resistant, rebellious toward their parents. Question. They can question us. They can doubt us. They can criticize us. Parents are no longer the sole authority. They're starting to realize, hmm, my parents didn't tell me about that. They didn't know that. So uh, we get smarter as they get older. But you know they go through that time where yeah well just because mom said it doesn't mean that that's so, and um, so we've got to get our ego out of the way, but again still communicate, and as they be- they can they begin to tailor their communication according to their surroundings as well. S- they sometimes become way more private in their thoughts and um, have a more sophisticated sense of humor. We incorporate that in communicating with them. Again, time. Spending time with our kids. Activities can take over during this time when they're in grade school. You can start to have too many things scheduled so that you don't have time to sit around the table and have dinner with no devices, by the way. You know, I mean, it's all these little things that chip, chip, Chip away until we're eating in front of the television. We're not all sitting down together at the same time because, oh, well, then we'd have to give this up or it wouldn't be quite convenient. You have to make intentional choices to have your family together. Intentional choices. And some of them hurt. But they're gonna, you're going to reap great rewards when you do. Um, say something absolutely
0: Vanessa said this the other day if it's important schedule it and she's right and Denise does a great job of this with our adult children I'm working on it she tries to get us together once a month for a family dinner and most of the time most of them make it it's pretty cool but schedule it make it happen
1: I sat down with some of the Ignition kids on Wednesday just to get some of their opinions on communication, and there were three things that that they said that stuck out to me. And one of them, because I said, if you if you need to be corrected in your home, what are the things that you notice? The first thing was, don't yell at me. That's hard. I did a lot. I'm I'm getting better at this now that I'm a grandparent than I was as a parent. But don't yell at me. Don't yell at me. The second was be clear in your expectations of me. Be clear, not vague. And the third is if you do something wrong, apologize. You know, we say, well, our kids really don't apologize. Well, have we modeled that for them consistently? Do we apologize when we're wrong? Because we are wrong. We're wrong as much as they are, if we're really honest with ourselves. We miss it. Do we apologize? Are we humble enough to say, whoa, I really blew that? Yeah. Um, the other thing that we noticed was that... Um, There's a lot of things kids are afraid to ask you, to ask me. When we are talking with our ignition kids, there's things that they need to talk with you about, and they're afraid to. We've got to make that safe environment so that all of those questions about life and the world come to your dinner table, to your bedside, to your couch, in your car. Follow through on your promises. Give them your A game. As a parent, make time to talk. Be intentional. Um, Ask specific questions and listen without contradicting. Laugh and help them to set limits. Quickly for the teenagers, uh, in, in communicating with teens, again intentional time, harder and harder and harder, intentional time. Uh, They had a suggestion of giving them advance notice. Okay, Wednesday morning, 6.30, you and me, breakfast table. I'll have everything you love to eat. I'll drag you out of bed, and we are going to have 40 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. But intentional, plan ahead, give them advance notice, Feed them. If you want to have a good conversation, include some food. Uh, Ditch the lecture. Control your emotions. So whatever they say, you're going to listen to it. You you see hard hats here. Put one on. Uh, One other suggestion is schedule a time to walk while you talk. Sometimes that walking next to, instead of looking them in the eye, is what your teenager needs to be able to tell you what's really down in the bottom that they have been struggling to get out. Walk side by side. Give them physical examples of your expectations, not just a vague clean your room. Sometimes you have to specifically spell it out. Reassure them that you're on their side. Allow them time to process and follow up, and don't give up. Proverbs 25, verse 15 in the Message Bible says, patient persistence pierces through indifference, Gently, gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses.
0: The next section is adult-child-to-parent communication. If there is one thing that you can remember when you are talking to your parent, is to honor your mother and father. A number of years ago, I was having a bad day. <laughs> my mother, my mother, she can be pretty strong with her words and whatnot, and I was a little bit uh, to my limit. So, I was sharing with Pastor Martin, and I'm like, oh, man, my mother, she's just kind of driving me crazy. He looked at me and said, I would trade places with you in a heartbeat. I lost my parents when I was 11 years old. That was the best advice I've had in my life regarding communication with my parents. Just honor them. Honor them. Take the high road in every situation. They grew up in a different generation. My kids have grown up in a different generation than I have. And I don't want to be a crabby old man. I don't. I don't want to be a crabby old man. I don't. Honor your mother and your father. Try to make your communication healthy and positive, as best you can. You know what I found, too, for me? I, don't, I didn't need to respond to everything with my opinion. Sometimes my opinion didn't need to be heard. And another thing that adult children uh, need to consider when communicating with your parents is the type of communication that you choose. A lot of us older folks really aren't into a lot of electronic communication. For me, texting is a good thing, but it's basically a transfer of information. And that's all it is. I don't consider it a meaningful conversation at all. That's my opinion. That's what my kids have to deal with. And I was looking up some statistics and do you know that even if you use email a lot of people don't read their emails they don't listen to their voice messages and if you're going to send an email you better text them ahead of time to let them know you sent the email and I don't I don't know about all the insta chatty whatever electronic stuff going on for me I want a meaningful conversation most of the time so try to understand the generation that you're talking to uh, with your parents and i'm going to give you seven quick suggestions for communicating with your parents number 1 build a foundation of good feelings number 2 think before you talk to your parents think about your response in proverbs 15:28 it says the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Number three, always listen to understand, even with your, could be elderly parents. Number four, sometimes your opposing response is not necessary, I just said that. Number five, make time for meaningful conversations. I know, for me, it was easy for me to check on my mom, but sometimes I just didn't spend quite enough time with meaningful conversation. Number six, find wins together. When you can talk about things that you worked together and you achieved, um, that that just makes for positive conversation with with your parents. Number seven, Always be respectful. Again, I'll repeat what I said at the beginning. Honor your mother and your father.
1: Quickly, sibling to sibling. um, I just had written down, model from an early age what you expect, how you expect your children to interact with each other. And as you well know, you who have school-age kids... This is like water dripping on the roof, in the car, in the wood, my toy. I get to sit here. I want the last piece of brownie. I, you know, that whole thing. But modeling your expectation on how they talk with each other, how they act with each other physically, pinching, biting, scratching, you know, all of those things. Um, it just make it clear with the consequences enforced what your bottom line is, what is not acceptable, and, and not with 52 reminders of this is, this is what, you know, you do it this way. Um, I think of some examples like Isaac and Rebecca with Jacob and Esau, that they played favorites, that they withheld information from each other, that they were deceitful. I mean, we've got to, we've got to do it a different way. And, um, but... But that love, like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you know, Mary and Martha expressed their love through differently, but yet you always saw their names together. And it reminds me of Kevin's mom and his aunt, or my mom and my aunt. They always did things together, you know. They would serve together, but they wouldn't do exactly the same thing. Well, that didn't start when they were older. That relationship started when they were young. Um... In closing, and I have to go back to children because I, I we are we are our kids' advocates. This world wants to break our children; it just does, and it wants to tear them apart from us. And we're letting them with the iPads and the and the cell phones and the, all of this other stuff that take our kids. They take our, brain, our kids' brains over. We have got to step in. When I, when I hear people say, well, you know, I, I don't know what to do. They're on their cell phone. It's like, do they pay that bill? <laughs> Hello? Right. The only way that they're using it is because you're letting them use it. Somebody has to be the parent. And they will, they'll play that default card all the time. If you don't want to do it, they'll do it. They'll, try, they'll say, well, I've got this under control. Somebody has to be the parent. Have the courage to be the parent. And if you don't know what to do, I was telling Kevin this last night, and I know this is so corny because when my kids were little, I could hardly stand it. Mr. Rogers Mr. Rogers, there's a thing on PBS now about Mr. Rogers. There's so many things. He had so much wisdom about talking with children because he took the time. He got on their level. He listened to how he spoke and tailored it to how they would receive, and he took the time and listened. And I I wrote down one of his quotes here. Love is at the root of everything. Love or the lack of it. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward the consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. Let's love our families. Thank you. We love you all.